Welcome to Move Forward Radio, a show featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts. This program is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Learn how physical therapists can help people of all ages and abilities reduce pain and improve and restore motion to achieve long-term quality of life at MoveForwardPT.com. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Jason Bellamy. Five years ago, Halo Matzell ignored the ringing in her ears until that sound was joined by voices in her head. What she hoped might be a small problem wasn't. Halo had a brain tumor. Surgery to remove the tumor was successful, but it was not without complication. Halo experienced brain swelling, and at one point she had to have her body packed in ice just to keep her alive. Once Halo stabilized, a second life-saving process began, an effort to return Halo back to the woman she was before the tumor. At MoveForwardPT.com, we're sharing stories of people whose lives were transformed by physical therapy, and this is one of those tales. With the help of her therapy team, Halo learned to sit up again, and then walk again, and slowly but surely, she was able to regain her independence. She's chronicled her experience in a memoir titled, Halo Found Hope, and here now is Halo sharing her experience in her words. My story began with uh, ringing in my ears, and it got so loud at night that I I just couldn't sleep. But I'm a Googler, so I sit on the computer and I discover that 50 million Americans have tinnitus, which is ringing in the ear. So I didn't worry about it too much, but it got so loud I just couldn't sleep at night. And I had other really odd symptoms, but I thought no one would believe me if I shared them. I'd hear voices talking in my head, and I'd try to figure out what movie they were from, what movie, you know, was it Star Wars, Little Women, Pride and Prejudice, what was it from? And I remember sharing those symptoms with my dad, and he said, Halo, you're just, you're a tight, triple-A, busy mom, don't worry about it. I learned later from my neurosurgeon that those were auditory hallucination seizures. But with the ringing in my ear, that was the main symptom that brought me to see my ear, nose, and throat physician. And Test revealed that I'd lost about 50% of the hearing in my right ear. So he ordered a dye contrast study for what he thought would be a treatable concern. I told him, it's a busy weekend. I've got a lot ahead of me. Can we find out the results quickly? And I walked back into the office, and his nurse pulled me back, and she didn't look all that happy. And when I walked into the exam room, there were now two doctors instead of one. And I looked at my ear, nose, and throat physician, who I'd known for over a decade, and I said, this isn't something simple, is it? And he said, no, Halo, it's not. I said, get my dad on the phone. He's a retired physician. Because I said, I I have a feeling what you're going to tell me is going to be really hard for me to understand. So I sat down and now there are three doctors in the room. And he said, Halo, um, this has nothing to do with your ear. You have a tumor the size of a golf ball lying over the main artery in your brain. And you have an appointment with a neurosurgeon on Monday. So my uh, to-do list drops to the floor, and my parents come to pick me up, and I'm in a state of shock, and my husband bolts home from work and uh, brings me home. And six days later, I'm rolled in on a gurney into an operating room, and I'm looking up at my neurosurgeon. Anyone that is facing surgery, particularly with the brain, is going to be afraid. Our assurance came from knowing that my neurosurgeon had an amazing amount of experience. He'd been in practice for 29 years. And the longest that he ever had a patient stay in the hospital in 29 years of practice, 
following brain tumor removal surgery was six days. And the projection was I'd be in the hospital for six days and then have two weeks of recovery at home. Um, however, my neurosurgeon was particularly concerned about the location of my tumor. The location of the carotid artery was very dangerous, and there had been talk about grafting, having him fly in a position to graft the carotid artery, but he was concerned about that because that procedure in and of itself could render me vegetative. And he spent dozens of hours researching and reviewing my case before the operation, but we all felt I was in great hands, and six days and two weeks of recovery was something that we could manage. I went in for surgery, and I was, while under propofol, I had a grand mal seizure, and it scared my physician because he hadn't even cut open the dura yet. And once the seizure stopped, he continued with surgery. And my surgery overall was considered a success because afterwards he walked out and he had the pictures and photos and all everything that occurred during the surgery. He goes, I got it all. And my family was ecstatic. And so was he. And, in fact, just a couple hours after surgery, my neurosurgeon brought me to full consciousness because he wanted to make sure that no significant harm had occurred. And not all doctors would do this. Some would want to give the brain complete rest, but he wanted to assure himself and my family um, that I was okay. And so when brought to consciousness, he would ask me to move my fingers, move my toes. Um, Where are you? I'm in the hospital how old are you? I, I didn't know. That's okay. And, you know, overall my prognosis was looking pretty good. And then they put me into a drug-induced coma at that point. My tumor had a particularly nasty trait. It wouldn't be until later that the doctors would discover what kind of tumor I had. That's when it's biopsied. They learned that I had a microcystic meningioma. That brain tumor is one in two million. And the nasty trait it has is you you touch it, it's like touching poison ivy. So when the doctors went in to extract it, my brain swelled and I became non-responsive. And uh, my family ended up being called to my side on three different occasions. There was talk of capping my skull because the brain swelling had gotten so enormous and life-threatening, but they were afraid my brain could pop out. Yet they were doing everything they could do to keep me alive. And Incredible events happened. One day my dad came in, and he would open my eyes at random. And this is while I was on life support. If my pupil dilated, it meant I was going into brain herniation, which is much like a heart attack, only it's my brain under attack. And by the time the wires and tubes would have discovered it, I'd be dead. And at random he came in and checked. Pupils dilating. He sounds an alarm bell. The doctors come in, slap my body between two plastofabric sheets of ice for three solid days and induce diuretics. I now have 80 wires and tubes sustaining my life, and I'm a frozen icicle. And my husband would come in and move the wires and tubes and attempt to kiss me on the cheek and say, I love you, no response. And one day my mom came in, and um, the same, halo, I love you, no response, four times over, halo, I love you. And I lifted one of my hands, just half an inch off the bed, turned it, and it dropped, and it it was my weak wave. You know, after finally coming out of my coma, I I couldn't walk, couldn't talk, I couldn't eat, couldn't think, 
hyperfunction, and I had double contorted vision. So if I was sitting directly across from you right now, I would see one of you straight up and down vertically and then one contorted off to the right. And I was sleeping about 21 hours a day. While I'm in the ICU, I'm not doing well at all. I'm still intubated. I've got machines doing everything for me because my brain couldn't. I was in the ICU for three, then I'm transferred to inpatient rehabilitation for another five. I'm still sleeping 19 hours a day at that point. Everything was not simple for me. After I came out of my coma, physical therapy was so basic in that they would simply ask me to sit up in bed. And, you know, many of us think that would be pretty simple, right? You know, just sit up. And But I'm a flopping Raggedy Ann doll. So they'd first say, okay, sit up in bed, Halo, for one minute. My head's flopping all over. I can't keep it up straight. I, This is not easy, you know. And I'd, just, I'd mumble, I can't. And so then hours later or the next day, they'd say, come on, Halo, we're going to try sitting up again. I'm like, I can't. And what I loved about my physical therapist is she would say, yes, you can. And my husband would be on one side and PT on the other side, and I would sit there and go, I'm afraid. I can't do this. And they'd say, Halo, don't worry. We're going to hold on to you. We're not going to let you fall. And I'd stand up for a few seconds and flop back in bed and go back to sleep. And that was as much as I could accomplish. But I knew that at some point this was going to have to change because I didn't want to live the rest of my life this way. They transferred me to in to inpatient rehab, and as far as the point of when I felt like there was progress, I'd have some days where I felt like, wow, I just took five steps, and then, you know, weeks later, I just walked the hallway. And at times, I felt frustrated because the progress wasn't as far as I wanted it to go, or wasn't enough. And I'll never forget the day that my husband came in while I was in inpatient rehabilitation, and he said, hey, Halo, there's another doctor on his way to see you. And I thought, you know, what's this one for? And and my husband's look on his face, he was kind of subdued, and I said, are you all right? He goes, Halo, we need to see if you can stay here and continue rehab or if you need to go to a long-term care facility. And in my confusion, I said, what's that? And he said, a nursing home. I'm like, I'm only 46 years old. I don't want to go to a nursing home. He said, help me get ready to see the doctor. And at that point, you know, in walks a psychiatrist with a tie, blue suit, and he looks at me, and, and I'm trying to sit up straight in bed, and he says, do you understand why you're here? You know, how do you feel? Do you want to stay here, and can you do this? And I'm sitting there confused, thinking, I really don't want to be here. I know why I am. I I just don't want to be. And, you know, frustrated that my body doesn't work the way it's supposed to. But when you ask about my turning point in terms of when I decided to really focus on acquiring a new new normal and and getting better and stronger and more capable, it would have been then. Because I thought, there's no way you're going to take Halo and put her in a nursing home. 
I think more when you asked me what drove me, it was my determination. You know, it's like I've got to take the frustration I have and make it my fuel, if you will, to become more determined. And if I'm going to quit, i got to quit giving up. You know, I just, my goal, I set my bar high and said, I have to achieve more. I don't want to go to a nursing home. I, I want to be back to the way I was before. Now, whether that was realistic or not, you know, none of us knew at the time. But that was my focus, and it needed to be. Because if I didn't continue to challenge myself, I would not be where I am today. I'd say the point at which I start to feel like I need to rebuild my life is the day I left the hospital after eight weeks. And I said, I want to be a mom again, a wife again, a friend. I want to be able to walk, talk, and do everything that I used to. I want to be able to run a household. Um, And I just couldn't. And I knew that that was a long ways ahead of me, but it was something that I could manage and that I would attain. It was a goal that I set, and that's what kept me eager. (laughs) There was so much I had to relearn. Uh, You know, I remember in physical therapy, I'd sit on a straight, large table covered with an exercise mat, and they'd say, sit up, and I couldn't. Or there's that blue exercise ball, many of us have seen one of those, you know, catch it, Halo, and I couldn't, Um, you know, I'd be in a make-believe house, and they'd say, walk up the stairs. Like, this is crazy. This used to be simple for me now. Why, why can't I do it now? Um, get in the metal car and pretend you're driving, you know. But at one point, I would return home and still face that challenge. And I remember my physical therapist saying, Kahala, we're going to walk down the driveway. And we have a, a sloped driveway. And I'd walked this countless times before surgery, but this time would be different. And it's odd to be afraid to do something you used to do before, and now you just can't. But the goal would be walk down the driveway and then come back. And I ended up taking just a few steps. I didn't make it to the end of the driveway. But, see, I I was in what – what we thought would be just a few more weeks of physical therapy turned into 20. But I do remember my physical therapist telling me, Hale, i got to tell you, you're, you're one determined person. And I remember her telling me, okay, we're not only going to walk down the driveway, now we're going to turn the street. And we'll walk a few houses down. Our home is situated where it's acre by acre, so that's a long walk. And she'd tell me to focus on something in front of me, Find something you like, and uh, I'd focus on that tree, and I'd just keep walking. And then I'd come home and go to sleep. (laughs) In addition to physical therapy, I was also doing occupational and speech therapy. I had difficulty speaking, and so someone would show me, for instance, a picture of an apple. They'd pull out a whole deck of cards. Here's an apple halo. What is it? And at times I would look at it, and I knew what it was, but I couldn't make my mouth say it. Or I'd have, you know, the occupational therapist come in and say, okay, now we're going to make some dinner. And in the past, I loved to cook, right? But today it would be, here's here's a bowl, here's some boxed macaroni and cheese, and we want you to make it. 
and, you know, this is now 10, 12 weeks out, and I'm struggling with opening up a box, pouring in water to make macaroni and cheese. I'm so thankful today that I don't have to make that sort of thing. I mean, I love it, but I don't, I, I can't, I don't make that sort of thing. I actually can make a more involved meal. And I can do so much more. I, at this point, I'm so thankful. I'm, I'm about 85% um, back to normal. I still have challenges. Um, and at this point, have my neurosurgeon and physicians have told me, I've, you know, I've pretty much plateaued out. And But for someone who has sustained as much brain trauma as I have, I'm I'm blessed, you know, I'm, and I'm thankful. A, I have to pace myself throughout the day, um, and as long as I do, I'm okay. Um, I can be challenged in one of three areas. If I overdo it cognitively, emotionally, or physically, um, I sometimes feel like I'll just shut down and go into brain fog or can't remember things. Um, but forgetfulness often has its silver linings, too. I would say realize that everything can be conquered. Set the bar high. Just don't quit. Thank you to Halo for sharing her story. You can order her book, Halo Found Hope, via Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And you can hear other transformational stories like this at MoveForwardPT.com. I'm Jason Bellamy. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guest is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Learn more about how a physical therapist can help you and find a physical therapist in your area at moveforwardpt.com. For an archive of past episodes, visit moveforwardpt.com radio.